Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. So my wife sent me this email. This is from Jeremiah 319. I want you to listen to the heart of this. This is God talking. He said, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I look forward to you calling me father. And I wanted you to never turn from me. I'm sharing that because I want you to connect to the heart of the father. God is an, a spirit. Jesus is his son made flesh. And then we have the spirit of God that flows with us. But you were created in his image and likeness. So he's not just a something out there, right? He is someone we can relate to, connect to, be a part of. So he brought Jesus into this world, right? So that way we can connect to the Father. That God is looking to restore the fatherless back to himself. And if you really studied out, it's what John the Baptist asked the people to repent of. Not all their sins. He, uh, he went in to turn the heart of the father to the child and the child to the father. And we see Jesus walk the earth and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Because this relationship has to be restored because we are a relationship being. So grace is a lot of things, but the one thing we really focus on is the simplicity of, him, of grace taking you from one position as a slave to another position as a son. You're graced into that place, okay? From that place, we found four concepts, not four steps, not four pillars, not 14 processes. We just, we just broke it down into four concepts and we build off of that, okay? So it's not a, a one, this is the way you're going to get it done. It's just, it made it easier for us. Identity, strength, courage, and influence. So the first thing we do with our guys is we teach them who they actually are. That means they have to face what they were. And that's kind of painful. And our director says, man, they're just not going to want to go. Because when we start talking about fathers, when you come from some backgrounds that all of you can even relate to at times, that is not a fun experience. And when I tell them that your identity solely comes from your father, that doesn't always sit well with most people. But thank God that wasn't how he created the whole process. But then when they discovered that if your identity comes from your father, and now God wants to be your father, now where does your identity actually come from? That you're not born of the will of man or the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. So you're actually born of something different. So identity, strength, courage, and influence. When, we found, when they found their identity, they would discover their strength. And then strength could be handled under resistance. You have strength. You have strength, right? You have muscles. But unless it's being against resistance, the muscle cannot grow. But you're not put into a situation with God that he's putting you there to test you, to watch you fail. What he's doing is he's expecting and overcoming and he's built something in you. And when you discover what you are, you're wanting to test it. Like an athlete saying, coach, put me in the game. Coach, put me in the game. I've never had players as a coach come up to me and say, coach, please don't put me in. Please don't put me in. I never want to play. Just let me just go to practice. I just want to practice every day. But I never want to play. No, they badger you and badger you and badger you. I want in. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. They want to test what they've learned. Right? Because then it's showing that they have something. So when you're in a test, it's not a test as a test, and it, God's not testing you with evil. He's putting you in a situation because he has in you, and you have enough in you to actually overcome so you never have to be back there again. Because God's way of making escape is by going through. 
because there is no retreat in any of the battles I've ever seen of having to turn around and run. Amen. Are we on now? So anyway, grace provides us with many things. So that understand about strength. So we're going to get into, we're going to talk a little bit about identity. We're going to talk a little bit about strength. We're going to talk about a little bit of courage. We're going to talk about influence because there is an outflow of what you do. There will come a work that will flow from you. Right? But the work will be something like, oh my gosh, you're working. Okay, hey, Montgomery. We've been stalling, waiting for you. So here we go. So you didn't miss out on anything. So we have four pillars of our program, identity, strength, courage, and influence. So let's begin with identity. Your identity is the source of your life. Everything that you are is tied to your identity. The danger in the system of this world is if I make you a slave, that means I have to change something from the outside in order to make you something different on the inside. That's called slavery. But if I make you a son, that means I make you something first, and out of what you are, the outside changes. And the systems of this world and the Luciferian systems of this world were designed to keep you as slaves, and then you have to keep doing something to get some kind of validation, some kind of approval, some kind of value that your name gets attached to what you do, not what you are. And the moment that we discover what we are, a lot of people aren't happy with it. Right? Because what you are carries some weight. It carries a name. So when Jesus says, I came to redeem my own name, and we believe and we do things in the name of Jesus, do you know what he's actually saying? I'm going to surname you with my name so you can walk under my name. It doesn't mean we pray to a name, the name does some magic and action happens. It means I get joined to the name. So my name is no longer Brian Greenwood, but it's Brian, son of God. And so when I act in Jesus' name, but the only reason I can become a son of God is through the name of Jesus, and under his name, all the names were actually carried. So when I say I'm walking in the name of Jesus, I have to operate as a son. Or as a daughter. We're not dealing with gender here, but son is very important. So ladies, don't get caught up in son. That Okay, he's talking about men. It's not dealing with men. It's dealing with the position that that gender at that time carried. So you want to be able to carry the role of son, even though you're a daughter. Okay, you, are we clear on that? Right? Because the son, the firstborn son, carried the role of the household. I don't have time to go, but on this little card, there's this, I, I gave out this card, and you could, there's a free download on the blessing. Go read it, because you'll discover that the blessing Jesus gave you is actually greater than yourself, greater than his. You actually walk in something that's greater than he gave, because that's just the way he is. He actually does things. See, greater works will you do than these, because I go to my Father, because otherwise I'm going to leave you actually a better blessing than what I actually walked in, because I love you. So I'm actually going to give up what I could have and exchange it over to you. But you're going to have to go read that, because that's too long. So we carry the image of our father, and it's the source of our life, and it's an imagery. The image you have of your father is the image that you're battling. Good or bad, it's, it's the image. You're, you're either trying to run to it, run from it, trying to get away from it, trying to be something different, but it is the, source, the core thing that is guiding, thing, guiding your life. In fact, I, I'm going to wreck movies for you because I think I did it for them last night. When you watch a movie... It's not about the main subject. There's something in the movie that anchors you to that movie. There's something in it. 
And if you really dig deep, there's always a father issue somewhere in the middle of that movie all the time. And we, it's subtle. Like if I were to tell you, I said this last night, what's E.T. about? An alien? It's okay. It's about an alien, right? It's not about an alien. The author of the movie said it's not about an alien. It's about a boy going through a divorce. The alien was just the, the journey that he was on. But it was about the pain of a boy going through a divorce. See, that's how movies connect us in. But it becomes so subtle. It's like, oh, I could relate to this. Oh, it's about an alien. Why is that the greatest movie? I mean, it made all these records. It was a, if you remove that element, the, the movie dies. But it was during a time period where so many kids were starting to deal with all this stuff, and all of a sudden this movie came out and it gave them something to connect into and go beyond their normal thinking. So the moment we don't have a good image of our father, shame sets in and we're trying to rebuild that image. So we know when all, all Lucifer had to do with Eve, this whole garden experience, I think we have a lot of misconceptions in that too. All Lucifer had to do with Eve, see, they had no concept of sin. We look at the story from a sin nature. From a, from a brokenness, from all this weakness, when we look at the Garden of Eden, we look at, well, if they wouldn't have done this, if they wouldn't have done that, da, 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 and we try to analyze that from what you know. They had no concept of sin. They weren't disobedient. They, don't, they didn't have a background. They weren't born into sin, trying to, needing to be born again. They were born right. And so all Lucifer had to do was bring shame. How do you bring shame on someone? Convince them God's holding out on you. Did God really say? He doesn't want you to be. He, he doesn't want you to fully be what you can be. He's holding out on you. And the moment you feel like you're getting held out, you think there's something wrong with you. And the moment you feel something wrong, insecurity and in, inferiority step in. And when insecurity and inferiority step in, all of a sudden now you start looking at life differently. You either retreat in shame or you get angry and fight back. And you get Cain and Abel. One's fighting for position, one's walking in righteousness. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord. I love some of these words because like, see, he's, he's a God of dread and anger and wrath. He's a God in anger of wrath towards those that will hurt what he loves. See, love has a wrath. Love has an anger. And that love, any mama bears in here when people mess with their children? There's a wrath. And there's a few daddy bears too. And there's a wrath, but mama bear has a whole different. You just, that's not something you don't mess with. Right? You ha but why does that happen? Because of your love for your children. So when you see the wrath of God, the real question is, who are you loving? Because wrath doesn't just have wrath. Because God's not insecure, inferior, or broken so this coming and great and dreadful day of the lord was really the system of this world that had been holding people in slavery is what this coming dreadful day was and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest i come and strike the earth with a curse that word that he's not actually coming to strike the earth the reality is that there's a curse and in when you read the writings you'll have to go do the historical study but he was basically saying a curse will come if we don't fix this thing and we see it happening in our day today because the heart of the father has not been turned back to the child and we don't have a relationship with God in fact we want to change his gender because the idea of father just let's call him mother 
And that doesn't take away from moms, because moms, you are critical. But moms, if, if our fathers did the right things, you would have been a mom that has a whole different perspective. It all comes down to father. But it's not a men are better, anything like that. It's just the reality of what that role is done, has is been created to do. Luke one seventeen, it says, referring to John the Baptist, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, fulfilling that prophecy to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So John the Baptist was the one sitting at the river, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he telling you to repent of? Believing that your father's angry at you. He's not mad. And when you realize God's not mad at you, all of a sudden your heart can open up to receive everything that he came to do. So John the Baptist spent six months confirming the dead works that we're doing to try to make God happy with us and saying, stop it, just accept that God is already happy with you, so he sent his son. Look, behold, the Lamb of God, the one that's going to take this whole thing away. He's already there, so quit trying to do your own thing. Proverbs 29.18 says this, Where there is no vision or revealing or revelation or understanding, the people perish. They cast off restraint. They don't have any care about themselves. They begin worshiping what they can build with their hands, a false broken thing, in order for them to try to measure up to something because we're designed to be valued. So they find something lower to be valued. And the moment you worship what's lower, it's called bestiality just to call it what it is. Something of a one kind mixing with another kind. You weren't designed to worship something of a lower kind. You were designed to worship the creator himself because that's the image you were created in. So, so you'll have to go, sorry, I didn't mean to throw that all out at you, but that was a PG-13 concept right there. But where there is no vision revealing the people perish or cast off restraint... But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, I've read this verse a lot of times, saying, well, God, I've not seen too many people happy in keeping the law. But it says it in the Bible, right? Well, actually, on my phone. I can turn to in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, But it says it, right? So how does that work? If I keep the law, then I'll be happy, and now I don't have a vision. The problem is we're reading it from a broken person that's a slave. We've got to read it as a son who the Bible was written to is written to his sons and his daughters. It was written to kings and deliverers and, and heroes, people of faith, not because of their works, because they screwed it all up, but because they believed what God said about them. That's why they entered the hall of faith. Because their lives were far from holy. I mean, come on, Abraham, the father of faith, changed in his wife twice. Think about how Sarah felt about that whole deal. Dude, I'm your wife. No, you're my sister. It's my sister. Have her, take her, just don't harm me. This is the man of faith that we're, right? Okay, did that put it in perspective? But did it change his relationship with the father? No, because he kept going back to who he was, and those behaviors began to change. If he's kept fixing the behaviors, the identity, now your identity is formed by outward actions. And now we lose it again. Now we're back to worshiping something that isn't. So keep in mind that vision. Now let me read it, okay, so where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. Now let's go to James 1, through 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, oh my goodness, here comes those works again. You need to be doing the word. 
He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. So everybody know what a mirror does? Right? By the way, do you notice no one has ever seen their own face? You've seen a reflection of it, but you've never seen your own face. Just a thought. And it's always backwards when you're looking at it in the mirror. So if you wonder why things aren't working out right and your part's on the wrong side of the head. So for if anyone is a, so it's he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. See, you can't get your own reflection. You can't truly discover you are, who you are by looking at yourself. It's backwards. It's twisted. It's warped. It's subject to the structure of the mirror. Go to a funhouse for a moment. If you want to look thinner, you just adjust the mirror. If you want to look fatter, you just adjust the mirror. Right? You can make yourself look anything you want in your own eyes. But it won't take away shame because you keep looking for a new mirror. So he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law, oh, there's that word law again, the law of liberty and continues in it. Now just let me pause there. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. That means he's staring at something different. What is the law? See, anything that God says from his mouth is a law. You're thinking Ten Commandments. You're thinking rituals and duties and processes and all the things that have been put on you. The law is just his declaration. So let me just give you a law. When he says, when you're born again, you are a son and daughter of his, that's a law. And the moment you discount that, you're saying the law is no good. It wasn't referring to the law. It was referring to his declarations out of his mouth. So now, he who looks into the perfect law, what's the perfect law? Jesus Christ. So he became the fulfillment of, of the whole law, put on him. So when we see Jesus, all of that was a picture of him, and then we see his goodness come out towards us. So all we have to do is look at Jesus and see the perfection of the law in him, completely fulfilled. So now when I stand in the mirror, I look into the perfect law. I look into the life of Jesus, my Savior. I look into my identity in who he is. I look into my righteousness, I look into my holiness, I look into my perfectness, I look into the perfect law of liberty, because whom the Son has set free is free indeed, so he came to set us free and liberate us. We're no longer slaves. You can't be a slave and be liberated. Once you're liberated, you're no longer a slave. That means that system had to have been broken, so you're no longer bound to something that has been holding you under, down, and your circumstances have been living have been whirling around you defining who you are. That's the anger when it comes to trying to get something from God and his blessing because you're cheating him of defining you by him. Instead, you're allowing the circumstances to define you. Your dishwasher breaks, your car breaks down, things aren't going the way you want it to go. God just must be whatever, and then you start going and trying to fix things. Here's what you're saying to the perfect law of liberty. You're not enough. I need something else because I'm still broken. Pride is not being arrogant. It can be, but we rarely see a person so proud that it's nauseating to be around them. Those are a few. We've, we've met a few, right? 
But real pride is not accepting what God says about you. So the moment we choose to walk low and when situations come and we say, well, I guess I am just no good, you're basically more, you're exalting yourself above God's word. I mean, if we really want to break it down. So, and we'll get to what that war is because we only have a few more minutes here for video and the rest of you guys have to stick around for another hour. For he observes himself, in a, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer. Wait a second. There was no words being talked in the mirror. What are you hearing? What's being said when you look into a mirror? Now, some of you know, probably ladies more than men, because some men need to look in the mirror. But ladies, when you look in the mirror, it talks to you. Doesn't it? It says things, because then you come out and repeat what it says. Like, this straight iron thing that you bought me to save money is garbage. It needs to be fixed. Well, who told you that? The mirror. So now we have the mirror, mirror on the wall, right? Who's the fairest one of us all? And all of a sudden, we're trying to get some value from something because you were designed to look at something because who you are is an image of something. And you can't know what you are until you see that image. A bird knows what it is. A dog knows what it is. And every breed of dog knows what it is. Every breed of cat knows what it is. They know what to do, how to act, how to be, how to behave, how to function, except for humans. We have no idea what we are. So we let someone market to us and define it because you know what? In our current marketing world, Whatever you find is not enough. See, for me to sell you a good means I have to create a problem or define a problem. And the moment I found the thing that's going to save your life, there's another thing. Because there's another straight iron and another straight iron. There's so many straight irons, ladies, I can't even keep up. Because the next one's going to do a better thing. And if you don't have it, you're just not going to have the thing that the mirror wants to tell you. So we need to go get that thing. So I'm just picking on you just because I heard about the straight iron yesterday. I'll be honest, it was a piece of garbage what I bought, but I got a good deal on this thing. <laughs> I won't do it ever again, will it happen. Looks into the perfect law of liberty, and I just want to get a good bargain. I don't like to be told this is what you have to pay for something, but sometimes you do get what you pay for. <laughs> and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Now, what's the work you do when you look in the mirror? You will do what you see. If you see garbage and you see inefficiency, or if you see, I just don't look thin enough, you will come out and start doing something to conform to that mirror, correct? It's telling you something. There's a work that performs, so that's the negative side, but what's about the positive side? What about the day you do look in the mirror and say, man, I look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do look good. I just won't turn sideways, but I look good straight on. This is a good, good look. Now all of a sudden you go out and what do you do? You're, you're a little more confident when you go into work. You're like, you're approaching people and you're, hey, how are you doing? Let me say it until they reject you. But at, at first you have this good kickoff, right? But if the mirror's talking bad about you in the morning, it's hard to get that Monday morning look and that confidence, right? Because of how you're seeing yourself. So when we look into the perfect law of liberty and we see what Jesus is, he's trying to tell you something. You look exactly like me. 
You look exactly like me. You're as holy as I am because I sanctified myself so you could be sanctified. I made myself holy so you can be holy. I'm not talking to the mess of your old life. I'm talking to the real you because I'm calling something that didn't exist before into existence and I start with the seed. But I need trash in the ground to plant that seed. So don't worry, your old trash will have some use. It'll be fertilizer to your new life. The King James used the word dung. Other versions use waste, but I think it's more appropriate. But he who looks, Phil will tell you what that is later. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one is blessed in what he does. How are we blessed? By accepting the view and walking in the reality of what he says that we are. And as we begin going back to the mirror. So what does it say? Stay in the mirror. If you're not getting it, just stay in the mirror. Now all of a sudden, when you open your Bible up, you're not reading about what you need to do. You're looking at, man, you've already fulfilled that. You've already fulfilled that. You've already fulfilled that. I must be that because now I'm a son. I get the benefit of that. When we read Proverbs, quit looking at Proverbs as something you could do. It's a fulfillment of who he was. Now when you go read Proverbs, and he says, well, a righteous man would do this. Well, man, if I was righteous, I would do it. No, thank God he's righteous. You mean you did that for me? Now all of a sudden, Proverbs is fun. Consider the ant, you sluggard. Man, thank God I'm not a sluggard. Jesus was no sluggard. Thank God I took on who he was. Man, what was it like? And all of a sudden, I'm not, I don't have to go consider the ant because I'm a sluggard. Jesus considered the ant. And he took your sluggardness with you. I've never really met a lazy man. I've met ones that had no idea who they were. And they've tried to live from nothing, trying to find, and they get tired trying to not be anything, and they quit. But when you spur something in their heart of a reality of what they really are, something comes alive. Something comes alive. And wives, you have a lot of leverage, just so you know. You just feed a little bit of over-ego, because us guys, we're a little shallow sometimes. It's just Sometimes we just need a little, mm-hmm, you're, you're the man. Yeah, you got that right. But don't you forget where you learned that, you know. She'll bring you right back to it. But anyway, it, it's important... He's relational. Why can we laugh to that? Because you can relate to that. Jesus says, I want you to relate to me the same way. Quit making him so distant as unpersonal. Man, he knew what it was like to be born in a manger. None of you were born in a manger with all the animal droppings and everything all around. You weren't born in that. You weren't born where your father had to go on the run, give up his dreams in order to fulfill what you were. You weren't born in a place where the people knew what Jesus was. They knew Something was wrong with Joseph and Mary because they were a pretty nosy community. I mean, in Jewish law, there was a process to get married, and they knew when you were pregnant before you got married. He knew what it was like to live with a reputation the day he was born. He knew what it was like to experience all that. But I'll tell you the war, and if we understand what the war is actually over, the war is, we're not in a spiritual warfare because some demons are sitting over a city trying to control the city. There is demons over cities, but that's not the war we're in. We don't need to cast it all down, rip them all out, throw them all away, spling blood, do all this stuff. Man, blood's living in me. I don't need it slung on a post anymore. I am, I am walking in the blood. That's what I'm born of. This is already on the inside of me. I'll tell you what your war is. The war is after who you are. 
The war is always stripping you to shame, trying to bring you something that's a little bit less. If I can convince them they're a little bit less, if I can convince them they're a little bit less, all of a sudden you'll go, maybe I am just a little bit less. Guess what? You won't walk in the power that was designed for you. You're not walking in the blessing. I'm not talking about a blessing that you've earned. It's already been given. But you're not walking in the fulfillment of what that power actually brings. You're not able to walk in that change. John, Romans 5.17 says, I have said, as it is written, I have made, referring to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. So this is the God that Abraham believed in. The God who gives life to the dead. Why do you think he could go offer up his son? He was not no cruel maniac. He didn't know what God was doing because he just realized, I don't understand enough, Father, but I'm still going to go do what you asked me to do because I don't understand. But he believed in a God that would raise the dead and he called those things that be not as though they were. Let me get back to the dream in Proverbs. When he says your dream, that if you lack a vision, the vision is the image of what you see of yourself. The image this church sees itself is what they walk in and then the law of what God spoke about you is what you walk in happy are you? It's not about finding, I need a 24-year dream with a six-goal plan, and I need to communicate and passionately convince everybody to be clones in my army to accomplish my dream. That, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, if you will understand the vision of what I've said about you, and then the vision of corporately what you're going to do together, and you walk in the words that I have spoken over you, that you're blessed, you're fulfilled, I will, you've chosen the praises of God versus the praises of men, and you're walking this thing out, pretty soon happy are you. We've got to put these things into perspective. Now that corresponds with what James was talking about. It's not a separate vision. A vision is something about you. Who you are. John 5, 19 through 21. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Therefore, when it says, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them to love him, well, praise the Lord, there's just some things we don't know. The, why don't we read? We don't want this connection because we're going to now see God from our inferiority and He doesn't look at your inferiority. The reason we can keep reading is because He doesn't look at us that way. But I've given you my Spirit and I will reveal to you all things. I want to show you my secrets because this is what I do for my friends and more importantly, this is what I do for my children. You will know everything about me. Now, some things you won't understand yet because you don't have enough background knowledge. So he'll give you the background knowledge, and then you have these aha moments. He's trying to bring you there. He says, for I know this is the secret to Jesus' success, not where he was going. Well, I know where I'm going. Well, that's great, but if you don't know where you came from, it's really hard to map that out. Jesus says, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. See, when you know where you come from, when you know who you are, when you know what you are, where you're going becomes the byproduct of that. How much time we have for our Montgomery friends? Perfect. All right, so I'm going I'm to switch gears for a little bit here and just, I want to talk about Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and David Beckham. Now, this isn't an absolute science, but I, we've spent a lot of research on father-children relationships. And I want to say this before I say anything. Fathers, our role is to point our children to the father. So I want to free you from the imperfections 
that you've had. Because we're walking in a fallen world, but as we start learning to point like Joseph pointed Jesus to his real father, we can start walking in the victory and our kids can actually build a different relationship with us that's powerful. It will bring healing. I could spend hours on horrible situations of absolute turnarounds with father children. So I don't want anyone sitting here with a condemnation, man, if I was a better dad, my kid wouldn't have been this way. Stop it. The father is here to be a father to you right now because you did what you knew how to do. Amen? So everybody drop that. But, I, but you need to still see the point here. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, David Beckham, they all three carry some very similar characteristic. Ty- Michael Jordan is known for? Tiger Woods is known for? And David Beckham is known for? All right. Boy, you guys all knew that. But here's what's interesting. These are three men that were not defined by the sport, but they actually defined the sport. Tiger Woods changed golf. He changed it. The whole level of golf changed when Tiger Woods hit the scene. Michael Jordan absolutely rocked the basketball world. Everything now is a build-off of what Michael Jordan broke through. David Beckham did something as a 17-year-old boy with a 70-yard kick in his first game that went in the net and scored a goal for Manchester United. uh, Unbelievable. To go in, to handle the pressure of getting a red card, getting kicked out and getting England knocked out of the World Cup, to come back four years later. You think fans in America are brutish? Man, the English fans are brutal. They are brutal people. David Beckham was ridiculed, mocked, everything without any regard to outside of opinion, in a final kick in the 90th minute, stuck the ball in the net with absolute confidence and won the the game for England, began changing their course, became the hero of England. That doesn't come when your identity is wrapped up in what you do. It comes when your identity is influencing the world around you. Now listen to this. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over in my life, and that is why I succeed. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think my highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Maybe I made you think that every shot I took was a game winner, that my game was built on flash and not fire. Maybe it's my fault that I didn't let you see that my failure gave me strength, that my pain was my motivation. Maybe I led you to believe that basketball was a God-given gift and not something I worked for every single day of my life. Maybe I destroyed the game. Or maybe you're just making excuses. Now, we're hearing this thinking. If you, think, if you listen to that from a works mentality of, man, if I just do this, see, I can be like, if I can do this. What Michael Jordan is doing is he's stripping the playing field. I'm not better than you. I've learned something different that you haven't learned. But we're equal. Now, granted, he has a little bit of a height and physical stature that's slightly different. But there's other people as equal. I, I, can, I can line up equal guys that don't do what he does. But he discovered something different. And to level the playing field that where your leaders are today isn't because there's a special... Okay, there, let me just say, there is something special, but it's equally distributed. You're all special on an equal playing field. But there's things that they've given themselves to and discovered that brought them to the place and they're helping you get there. Does that make sense? 
So how did Michael Jordan do this? And what does his father have anything to do this with this? He goes and wins world championships, goes and plays baseball, then comes back to win another championship. And it was on Father's Day, was the, the day of the, the championship. And just prior to that, his father was murdered. You guys remember that story? And he says this when they asked him, what would your father think right now? And listen to this quote. Everything I've accomplished was him. You couldn't separate Michael Jordan from his dad. Tiger Woods, his father, Brett, they lived together doing golf. David Beckham's dad was a youth coach for Manchester United, loved Manchester United. They had relationships when it came to that thing that was solid. They had other imperfections because we're dealing with fallen men. I'm just saying when the identity of these kids were, were built off of their father, that's why the sport couldn't define them because their father was defining them. That's just natural world. That's just natural things. How much more when we can discover that our heavenly father has done even more so you can have a relationship better than that and live from that thing so that way all of a sudden you're going out influencing the world. That's glory. You want glory to fall? Live from the identity that you were. Because the glory I have been given, I have given to them. So you want to glorify God in your life? Live from what he tells you you are. Just accept in the mirror, this is what you are. And you are actually bringing the most glory you could possibly give. Because when my kids live from what I see in them, I am fulfilled. I don't need a letter. I don't need a card. I don't need a picture. Just to see that my father said this to me. I have a good dad, but there's just some things he didn't know how to do. I had to still discover my heavenly father. And just the other day, my dad said to me, he goes, You know, Brian, you're the best birthday gift you've ever given me was you doing what you're doing right now. Because that's how fathers are wired. That's why he's called a father. A father takes you into place so you can discover and wants no return of reward from what that is except for you living. Now, doesn't that want to make you praise him? He, by nature, gets more praise by praising you, and he's trying to outdo you. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Okay, remember he labored? Okay, well, I still got to go labor, right? Let me just tell you this. But by the grace of God or the position change into the realities of who Jesus is. I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. When you see people that love God and they're like giving their life and working hard and you're trying to measure to them, you will fail. But if you go discovered, why are they laboring that way because of how God views them? Then you can switch that and what your life takes on a whole different meaning. And we no longer have clones. Yes. The cloning goes away because cloning doesn't work. You strip passion and heart and vitality and life when you clone. It's like creating a mule out of a donkey and a horse. You get one thing and it can't produce nothing. It's just a clone like creating gildings. Phil will tell you what a gilding is later. You know what gildings do? They walk on a horse trail with people on their backs with their nose in the butt of the next horse in front of them. They just, no passion, no life, just dead. 
But I'll tell you, a stallion is a hard thing to hold on to. They're crazy. But when you can get the heart of the stallion to go to the direction that you want, man. Is that, are we done over there? Okay, so let me finish up here. Do we do good? Okay, perfect. Okay, let me just leave you these last points, all right? I won't keep you much longer. John 3.17 says this. I know you guys were expecting John 3.16. No, John 3.17 says this. For God did not send his son into... I don't know why. John 3.17 should be the one at the stadiums. Because we're not seeing the John 3.16 in action, but the John 3.17, if we can get a heart of that, we could get the people who should be sharing John 3.16 in action, and then all of a sudden we could have a whole different view. For God did not send his son into the world, excuse me, to condemn the world. Let me repeat that, just in case you missed it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That means he didn't come out and point out your faults and the things you need to fix, and we need to get this in line so you come into the fish shop where we actually do all the cleaning. <laughs> but, through him, through the wor- but through him that the world might be saved. John 14, 6. So I want you to understand, when I talk about the Father, I'm not taking away Jesus, and I'm not taking away the Holy Spirit. They're one. In fact, you can't tell who's which in the Godhead because they so influence each other. The Father believes in the Son. The Son believes in the Father. The Father believes in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit believes in the Son. The Son believes... They just believe in each other so much that they're influencing each other off their relationships, just like you influence each other off your relationships. That's how we are created. We are created to sit at the table like we did last night and hear what somebody else's story who's been influenced by the Father and getting different perspectives, and all of a sudden we're caring about what that other person has to say. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm learning something too. We're influencing each other. That's the relationship God had. That's why Moses could say, hold on, God, you can't kill him now. It's going to make your name look bad. All right, Moses. How could Moses influence God? Because Moses understood the relationship because the goodness of God passed before him. John 4, 6, 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, referring to Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. This father thing is so critical because it's who you are. John 4, 6 says, David described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. So I'm going to bless you today. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin, and let me just tell you, the lawless deeds are those doing religious works. That is lawlessness. You've not understood the law of liberty. When we do the things to make us righteous that can't make us righteous and we go through the repetition, it's being lawless. You have nothing making you happy. There's no end to it. It's lawlessness. It's anarchy. It is chaos in your heart. Because you know inside it's not mixing. Looking okay on the outside, but inside it's not sitting well. So blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute which is a financial term, which means a sign of value based on the process in which it contributes. In other words, your sin that produced all this, he's not assigning your value to what was produced by your sinful acts. He's assigning a value based on what's been imputed by another individual on you. Okay? And you're not being defined by it. Galatians 4, 5 through 7, it says, The Father sent His Son 
to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now let's, see, we think we're crying, Abba, Father. You guys hear what I just said? God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. He came into our hearts and invited the Holy Spirit into dwell in this place. He's crying out, Abba, Father. He's crying out for our relationship. He's even going through the work to convince you. And as an attorney, it says he bears the weight of proof. When he says he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It means it's a legal term which says he is the lawyer and you're bringing a witness. And that witness is the burden of proof to prove that you are a children of God because you can't prove it. So the Holy Spirit actually proves that you're a child of God. And the courts become settled. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ, your identity has been radically altered. And I'll just leave you with this. Your warfare that you will go through is the same warfare that Jesus went in in the wilderness. If you are a son, why don't you do this? If you are a son, why don't you do this? If you are a daughter, why wouldn't you do this? If you really were a daughter, this wouldn't be happening. If you really were a child, this wouldn't be happening. If you really were, if you really were, if you really were. Why'd the Holy Spirit take him out there? Because the Holy Spirit wanted to be that inner burden of proof to prove you are, you are, you are, you are. And now no longer are you manipulated to do a work to prove you have value. The work is already settled. And when Jesus came out of the wilderness, he said, it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to give sight to the blind. He came out in power because his power came from an inner identity that he'd established. I am the son of God. Amen.